um, praise the Lord, one of, one of my brother's uh, friends up there in Nova Scotia. So, all right, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to finish up the message from this morning in the Gospel of Luke. I'm glad you came back tonight because then I don't have to do a whole lot of review uh, from this morning. Hopefully you were caught up from where you are and where we are in the story. Have you ever been delayed? Um, I don't know, but uh, when, when I hit traffic and um, they're working on Monroe over there and now they've last couple of weeks they've been working on 53 over here so coming home from church on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights they've had lanes all blocked off and you couldn't know where to turn and what to do and and uh, all of that and you kind of get behind somebody and you get delayed and uh, in um Amber said while I was in Canada one of the times coming home from church she had to get rerouted all the way down to um uh, to Maston Lake, I think, and turn all the way around and go back the long way. And uh, so it was later in the evening before she got back to church, uh, got back from church because, just because of that. And um, we, we, we don't like to go at a slow pace. Not many of us do. Uh, we're, we seem to seem to be in a hurry. In fact, one of the things the pastor at, and, at um, Nova Scotia was saying was just a little small fishing town um, he said, we're not as busy and as, as hurried and as hectic as they are down in the lower, in the lower uh, Americas, in the States. Um, things just work on Canadian time. We, when it comes and the service starts, it just starts. And we just can't, you can't, you can't be too much in a hurry. So here we have this story where you have a father who is waiting on Jesus. One author stated as an illustration, your daughter is in desperately sick to the point of death, so you call 911. They rush an ambulance down. You follow behind in the car. Rushing down the highway, right in the middle of the road, the ambulance stops and pulls over because there's a woman on the side of the road who's homeless and is having trouble. The paramedics rush out of the ambulance as you're waiting behind in the car. They start patching her up and giving her some water and checking her blood pressure. When one of the men stepped out of the back of the ambulance and says, Guys, I've got bad news. She's dead. How would you feel? At that moment when Jesus stopped to help a lady with the issue of blood. After he recognizes her and points her out. A gentleman comes running to the group and says, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble the master no more. You see, Jairus was in a hurry, yet Jesus was not. You see, his problem was very serious. His daughter was at the point of death. This lady had had an issue of blood that was not fatal. She'd had it for 12 years. Jarius probably thought, could she have it one more day? And you come back to this later. My daughter's at the point of death. Why are we waiting here? God often has divine delays. Jesus knew what was going on. You see, God is never in a hurry. We heard Wednesday night. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Even when God came to Noah and told him that he was going to judge the world by a water and a flood and to build an ark. He waited 125 years before he brought the judgment. We would see the sin that has happened year after year, century after century, millennium after millennium. And yet God in his patience is waiting for that last person to trust Christ as, his, as their savior. You see, God often runs a time clock that is very different than our time clock. Yet he's always in control. Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this. He hath made everything beautiful. What? In his time. Problem is his time and our time often get off sync. We get in a hurry. We think of. We, we, we see the days that we have, the minutes that we have, the busyness that we have, the jobs that we have, the agenda that we have, the things that we want to accomplish. And yet, as we heard in our devotion with the deacons today from Psalm 39, the psalmist says that he has to just stop and look and measure his days and realize that even the span of his time is just a speck in the time clock of God's eternity. That doesn't mean God doesn't care. It, it, it doesn't mean he's, he's apathetic to what's going on on our 24-hour clock or 365 days a year. It doesn't mean he's, he doesn't know about leap year and skips a day or doesn't skip a day and his calendar's all wrong. He is very intimately involved with every detail of our life, even to the point that Luke records it's his only daughter. We will see that Jesus is very personal. The whole story is about individuals. However, there are times when I felt like God was, time was slowing down. It wasn't working fast enough. The problem I was dealing with didn't seem to go away. And I cried out and said, God, what's taking you so long? Why are you waiting? Like the psalmist would cry out and say, how long, O Lord? Are you there? I cry out and he doesn't hear me. Where are you, Lord? You ever been there in your spiritual life and in your life? Where these treatments just seem to keep going and you're praying and you're more right with God than you've ever been in your life. And yet the Lord doesn't seem to respond. In fact, he keeps taking a bunch of side roads and rabbit trails and pulling the ambulance over to check on scant knees. And yet you're over here dealing with stage four. It's serious. We come to these places. You see, our faith wavers. And Jesus knew his faith was wavering. And the man said, now, if anybody didn't have tact, it would have been this guy here. I mean, he just burst right into the crowd and said, she's dead. Leave the master alone. I mean, can you imagine the shock and the word that came to this father? I mean, that's not necessarily sympathetic. Can you say, well, come, come on over. I got something very serious to tell you. All right. He just blurts it right out. Don't, don't mess with the master. Obviously, maybe the lie that is going through his mind at that moment, what would have been going through your mind? Jesus doesn't have time for you. It's too late. Now that's a lie from the devil. If you ever feel that or ever think that. 
That comes from the, the, the side of doubt. When your faith begins to waver. To think that God is too busy. He's got other things to do. And yet. This is when his hope. Was fading. Now it's time to plan the funeral. Now his heart that was filled with, with a little bit of hope. Jesus was on his way. Has been dashed. Fear. Pain. Sorrow. He was troubled. How do I know he was troubled? How do I know he was afraid? Look at verse 50. But when Jesus heard it. He answered him saying. Fear. Not. Only believe. This is a command. In other words, Jesus says in, in, in this command, stop being afraid. Keep on believing, Jarius. I've not failed you. We're still headed in the right direction. I'm not going anywhere else. I told you I'd come to your house. That's where we're going. Don't be afraid. Just believe. This is the same situation that Jesus found himself in. Found himself in. It was on purpose. With Mary and Martha in John 11. How many days did he wait until he showed up at the grave? Four. And you remember what Mary and Martha came to him and said? Lord, it's too late. He's four days. He already stinks. You're, you're not here in time. You see, Jesus was delaying in some instances, because he was going to show the glory of God. Notice the second phrase that he mentions here. Only believe and she shall be made. What's the word? Whole. It's the same word that was used back of the woman who was made whole in verse 48. It's the word sozo. It, it means she will be delivered. She will be rescued. She will be saved. He's given him a promise. Just believe. This is the promise that he holds on to. Someone wrote this. The promise means despite all circumstances to the contrary. That Jairus' future was still open with his daughter. In other words, all, all normal circumstance would have said. It's, it's over. It's too late. Je Jesus shouldn't even come to the house. Because he can't heal her now. And Jesus says. She'll be made whole. All Jarius had was the promise of Jesus. The words of Jesus. That's all he had. And I want to tell you, it's all he needed. He didn't need any more. You see, Jesus knows that the same thing that happened with a woman with the issue of blood can happen with this daughter too. She had gone to all the physicians. Nobody could help her. But Jesus could do what physicians can't do. Jesus can do anything. Sometimes all the Lord gives us is his promise. That's all you have to hold on to. And you just got to follow him in the house when the circumstance of the situation looks impossible. You see, only Jesus could speak these types of words and they bring comfort in the face of death. In other, in other words, everything's going to be okay, Jarius. Now, I found myself in a lot of situations, especially in, in the face of death or the death of a loved one. And it is difficult to know what to say. Sometimes I've said the right thing. Sometimes I probably said the wrong things. I admit that. 
But if you ever had someone where something has gone terribly wrong and they, in an insensitive way, maybe not being insensitive, just said, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. She's dead. Won't be okay. And yet Jesus is the only one that can actually say this. Because he's the only one that actually could fix the problem. Only believe. What a command. Jesus is trying to settle the father's heart. He just gave him his word. And Jesus is bringing comfort of promises. That in the end, it'll be okay. Now, I don't know what Jairus is thinking through. Yes, maybe he's thinking very similar to, to, to what the others had thought in, in the other story. Yeah, I think it was Mary or Martha, one of, the, one of the siblings of Lazarus, who said, Yes, I know he'll be raised on the last day. Jesus is like, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. So maybe in Jairus' heart, he's saying, well, I, I know that, I, I, that, I, that you can save us and you can save her and you can bring her. You know, one day there's a resurrection. They believed in the resurrection unless he was a Sadducee. They would have gone. In it, but I don't know what's going on. But Jesus gives him a promise. And then look in verse 51. Jesus now is going to mess up the funeral. When he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother. And in verse 52, and all the wept and bewailed her and said, and he said, weep not, she is not dead, but she sleeps. So by the time Jesus had got to the house, it had been delayed long enough that the funeral service had already started. Remember, in the first century, when someone died, by the end of the day, they were to be buried. You didn't wait. You didn't have an embalming process. You didn't have a, we'll plan the funeral for next Monday or this weekend or a few days. If someone passed away, by the end of the day, within that day, they were to be carried down to the cemetery. That's exactly what happened in the previous story in chapter 7 when Jesus came to the city of Nain and there was a widow who had had her son. We told you that probably that morning the son had died. Maybe even before Jesus journeying out of Capernaum headed toward the city, the boy was already dead. By the time they get there that evening, he's headed out to the funeral, to the service. You see, modern funerals are not like Jewish funerals today uh, of, of the first century. Modern funerals are sol uh, solemn and silent services. But Jewish funerals in the first century were nothing like that. John MacArthur states three distinct elements that are found. Those who attended expressed grief by tearing their clothes. It would happen typical at a Jewish funeral. Tradition would state that they would tear their clothes and wear torn clothes for at least 30 days, a sign of mourning. Number two, they would hire professional mourners who were to come in and weep and mourn as loudly as possible. These were actual people who were trained to vocalize their voices to broadcast feelings and emotions. It was an art form and you could be hired to do it. They were to come in and with their voices and with the instruments, they were to set a mood. And then number three, they were to hire professional musicians. The Jewish traditions state that musicians would play for funerals. Remember earlier, uh, Jesus had gave a parable with the Pharisees saying, some of you want to play the flute and dance and others of you want to play a, on a dirge and you want to play a mournful song. He was talking about a funeral song. 
They had mourners, professional mourners and professional musicians. And they would play loudly with dissonant sounds that would show discord and sorrow. Even the poor were required to have at least two musicians and one mourner at their funerals. You would hire them. The Jewish people still do the same thing. If you arrive on Thursday, I think Thursday in, uh, in, in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall. Thursday is Bar Mitzvah Day. And families of their children who would come to the bar mitzvah, they have their ceremonies. I've been there twice and seen it happen. They hire a man who blows a, tr a trumpet and hire another guy who has a microphone. And they come in and the families follow and they have these tents and these things. And they, they shout and they sing and, and the instruments. And they get to the wailing wall. They go through the security. And the guy in the trumpet and the guy who had the microphone would turn around, go back down the steps, back to the, uh, the area where the next family was waiting. And he would start all over again and do the procession again. You just can't go back and forth. It was, it's a professional, it was an art, it was a thing that they do. This is exactly what is happening by the time that Jarius and Jesus get back to his home. His wife has already ordered the funeral arrangements. And it's already in process. Jarius being a rich man, no doubt would have had a large crowd of people gathered. And when Jesus shows up, the loud noise, the instruments, the voices, the mourning, it was a chaotic event. It was a funeral. And Jesus, in verse 53, it says that they all wept and they all bewailed her. And Jesus speaks up and says, stop weeping. She's just sleeping. And the response in verse 53 said, and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Interesting that Jesus would silence everyone and make this statement. He wanted everyone to know that. The God of death, the one who overpowers death, was going to come in and was going to defeat the foe. Once he silenced everyone by making the statement that she was asleep, he was not necessarily ignoring the reality of death. She was dead. But Jesus would often use death in, and sleep as a metaphor. John 11 and verse 11, he tells the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus didn't mean that he was taking a cat nap. He meant that he was dead. But he's using it as a metaphor for a temporary state. Interesting that Christians would later follow in Jesus' example and talk about their loved ones who had passed on were just asleep. Physical death is not permanent. The future awaits a resurrection. And so often this metaphor of sleep is used at a funeral, very much like Jesus did. Now they mocked him, they laughed at him because they missed the point of what Jesus was saying. In fact, they didn't believe Jesus had the ability to do anything. And what does Proverbs say you should do to a scorner? Cast him out. And so Jesus says, everyone out. He commands the room, he's taken charge of the funeral service. And he suffered that no one would go in except or save Peter, James, and John, and the mother and father. Now, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have let Peter in. I mean, he just stuck his foot in his mouth in the few verses before, did he not? What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. All right, Peter, that's strike three. You can't come in the house today. All right, you're outside with all the other disciples. But no, Jesus points Peter out. Peter, you're going in. 
Peter was allowed to go in, he shut the door, he closed the funeral service, everything was over. Only those who believed were now to have part in the service. You see, there will always be people who don't understand the work of faith. They mock it, they laugh at it, they scorn it. The fact that we come to morning services and evening services and Wednesday night services and we carry our Bible, we sing our songs. There are people who are out in the world today, maybe even in a service like this, that they scoff and mock and scorn the, 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 the work of faith in the lives of believers to trust the word of God. Jesus knows what to do. So in verse, let's see what he says in verse 54. And he put them all out and he took her by the hand and called saying, "Maid, arise. Turn, turn over to Mark 40. We got a couple minutes left. Mark chapter 5 in verse 40. Look at Mark's parallel of this story. In verse 40, they laughed him to scorn. When he had put them all out, he takes the father and the mother of the damsel. And then that were with him. That would be Peter, James, and John. That was verse 37. And he entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand. And he said unto him, to her, and you can underline the word here in the Aramaic, Talitha Kumai. And Mark goes a description to tell us what the interpretation is, which is being interpreted damsel or maiden, I say unto thee, arise. So when we get to Luke, Luke translates this for us just in the Greek, and then it's, it's come out in the English here. But Mark actually translates the Aramaic form, and he transliterates it for us, and it's recorded for us the actual words that Jesus says, even in our English Bible. Kalithumai. Interesting that this term would come out as Jesus and even be preserved in its original form to this day. It's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. It's Aramaic. Jesus would have spoken Hebrew in the synagogue. He would have spoken Greek when he was uh, communicating in, in, the, uh, in the realm like the Decapolis. When he would have met the man possessed. That would have been, he would have spoken to him in Greek. That was the trade language. That was the world language. That was like English, all right, to some extent in the, in the economic world, the Roman, Roman language. But he spoke Aramaic in the streets. That's what Jesus grew up with. That would be his, his, his original tongue. And he had a religious language, a political language, and a practical language. And this comes out. In Jesus, in one of the places in the Gospels where Jesus records that. What does this word mean? The word means, Talitha means youth or an illiteral lamb. L-A-M-B. In other words, he said, little lamb, arise. It would have been a statement of kindness and love. To the parents, she would have always been their little lamb. To the Lord, she was a little lamb. Mark kept this one word in the original. Showing Jesus' tenderness in this moment. I think of the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. This shows us how tender the Lamb of God was with his sheep. In fact, all three Gospels records that he took her hand. 
And all three gospels record that he took the mother and father in there. Can you imagine closing everyone else? And then walking into that room where your dead child is laying on the bed. I mean, I've been with some parents where this scene has happened. It's very difficult to come into the hospital room or come into the funeral with the casket. And there it is. And Jesus takes this mother and father straight up to the bed. And he sits down and he reaches down to the dead girl's hand and he picks it up. And he says, Lamb. Arise. The scripture says. She rose up. Literally two words. And Jesus. Had power over the grave. Death obeyed its creator. Or it, it, it obeyed the creator. Jesus said three words on the sea of Galilee. Peace be still. And the winds and waves obeyed him. He said a word and 6,000 demons fled in fear. And now in the face of death itself, the greatest of all human tragedies, Jesus commanded it to flee and life was restored. You see, all of this was possible because Jesus knew the story was yet complete. This is why he told the parents not to tell anyone. Because Jesus knew that there was a greater resurrection coming, his own. Interesting that he would tell the maniac of Gadara who had been transformed to go back to your own home and share the news with everybody you can. But then in the last verse, in verse 56, and her parents as were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. And why would he do that, interesting enough? Because everyone that had just been kicked out, they didn't believe. And when light is rejected, it brings more darkness. And Jesus knows that there are hard hearts and hard uh, blinded eyes that are out there that just won't believe, even with someone who was raised from the dead. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this, this wonderful, tender story of Jesus that would go with these parents into the room all alone at this wake and speak words of tenderness and touch a dead body and breathe into her the power of life and then tell her to go get them get her something to eat and lord what what a what a power that you have to take a chaotic, a hopeless, an impossible situation. And all we have to, to trust is just your word. When all the delays that have come and we're in a hurry and it just seems like it's not working out like we thought. And, and, the, and, and the story gets worse and worse as time goes on. All we have to trust is your word. Thank you for your tenderness and care. Thank you for... One day, you're going to come back and you're going to resurrect our bodies in a similar fashion with the same word when that trumpet blows. And Lord, would we be prepared if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know Christ. If they were to die tonight, they would spend an eternity separated from Christ because they've never made a decision to trust Christ. Lord, would they, would they step out in faith and know that their eternity and their future is settled in Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Pray for Bible school this week.